Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. Welcome to Pod Save America. This is Tommy Vitor, and welcome to the latest candidate profile. As you know, we are trying to talk to all of the candidates running for president in the Democratic primary in 2020. And today, I sat down with Congressman Eric Swalwell. We started the conversation by talking about his ideas to get guns off the streets because he has made gun control really the focus of his campaign. We also dove into the roiling debate in Congress and on Pod Save America about impeachment uh, and the reasons for or against. We talk a lot about his work on the House Intelligence Committee, what challenges he sees in the world that worry him. We talked about Iran. We talked about China. We talked about a whole bunch of top, top, top secret documents getting leaked out of the NSA and the CIA and how the hell that keeps happening uh, and what rules of the road, if any, he thinks should be put in place to you know, limit cyber activities and cyber espionage. We also talked about his uh, likelihood or not to win it, votes from his parents and his brothers who are Trump supporters uh, and what he's learned from talking with them and, uh, you know, basically why he thinks he's the best candidate to do this. So I really appreciate the time. There was a lot of Pod Save the World moments in there. So download, rate, review, subscribe, Pod Save the World. Quick plug for myself. I'm not going to do it now, Michael. When am I going to plug my own show? But without further ado, here is Congressman Eric Swalwell. I'm honored to have in the studio in Crooked Media HQ, Congressman Eric Swalwell, uh, California's 15th district and a candidate for president of the United States. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Love the show. Did you get enough uh, doodle time on your way in? Did you see any of the dogs? (laughs) I did not see any of the dogs, but we have a black lab who would just absolutely fit in around here. What? How how big? About 70 pounds. Her name's Penny. Penny. And, uh, you know, we got her and it was just kind of the typical get a dog, get engaged, get married, have kids. And now, like, when someone asks for a picture of your dog, you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) I haven't taken a picture of my dog in two years. This is the ghost of Christmas future. We, yeah. I, we're still on the dog, uh, and there are 7,000 photos of Luca, if you ever want to see one. But we have Bear back at home with my mom, who's a 90-pound black lab who likes to sit yeah. on your lap. So Make some of them your favorites, just so you can have them like, right at the top when people ask this for is, a picture. This is good advice, but I digress. Um, hard pivot here. Uh, you said the focus <laughs> of your campaign is gun control. Uh, so, I mean, you've called for a mandatory federal buyback and ban of semi-automatic weapons like the AR-15. There was a, a shooting at a school this week. I actually don't know what weapon was used, but regardless, like, I think your policy is bold. I think it's the right, it's the right approach, but I'm also ground down by how difficult uh, it's been in my experience at even modest gun control policies like mandatory background checks through Congress. It's like, how do you think 
that as president, you can build a movement and, and get this done? Well, it'll, it's taking advantage of the momentum that has shifted in this debate and not negotiating down. You know, after Sandy Hook, you know, during my congressional orientation, that happened. We sought background checks. Republicans wouldn't go for that. After Orlando, crazy idea that if you're on the terrorist watch list, maybe you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. Right. They wouldn't go for that. After Vegas, guy took a semi-automatic rifle, converted it into a fully automatic rifle, and we just said, hey, let's ban bump stocks, and they wouldn't go for that. Then Parkland changed. I, I think the, the dialogue in the country started to change when you saw, again, you know, kids slaughtered in their schools, and the moms and the Brady group and the Giffords group and every town have started to converge, and I think there's this gun safety majority now that is you know, more powerful and more of them than a very vocal, tweeting, bullying minority uh, that wants us to do nothing. So it's really yeah. just seizing the opportunity and doing something. But what if those vocal tweeting bullies make up a huge percentage of the Senate? <laughs> what do we do about them? <laughs> beat them. You gotta beat them. Yeah, and, and there's opportunities now, right? Arizona, uh, Maine, uh, those are two of the top targets. Colorado uh, coming up. You, you gotta beat them. Uh, or, it, you know, also the senators, I, I think, should be pushing to pass the background check bill mm -hmm. there. You know, we worked our asses off to win the House, right? We beat 17 NRA-endorsed candidates to pass background checks. We got people like Lucy McBath in Georgia, who lost her son and was one of the leaders, you know, on the Judiciary Committee uh, with me and others to pass it. Now, we should at least be forcing them to have a vote, you know, whether it's filibustering or, you know, what have you in the Senate to get a vote there. But, you know, it, it's really just building on that momentum or making Cory Gardner explain to his constituents in Colorado where they just had a shooting, you know, yeah. why he isn't, you know, pushing for background yeah. checks. Um, Senator Kamala Harris of California said that she would sign an executive order mandating background checks for firearms dealers who sell more than five guns a year. Uh, she wants to close the loophole that allows some domestic abusers to buy guns. Do you support those policies? And do you think we can accomplish those things with executive actions? Well, I, I do think gun violence is a you know national crisis right yeah. now. Uh, what I would hope to do as nominee would be to you know support Senate candidates who you know could win and give us you know a governing majority in the House in the Senate so you have the force of you know the article 1 and an executive mm -hmm. uh, passing these laws that that is ideal but i will do anything it takes to prevent you know more and more loss uh, in our communities but in that spirit of negotiating up you know not just background checks i i believe that just as australia did and just as new zealand has done that we can take you know assault rifles uh, out of mm -hmm. our communities by uh, banning them and buying them back. And I'm the only, you know, candidate right now that's calling for, you know, a mandatory buyback. And it's and it's not because I, you know, don't value the Second Amendment. I say keep your pistols, your long rifles, your shotguns. But these weapons I saw when I was a prosecutor are just different. They leave no chance. And even if they are a smaller percentage of the deaths in America from assault rifles, mm -hmm. it's a hundred percent of the fear that a student has in their classroom is yeah. that they're going to be victim of an assault rifle. And you can't measure what that does to the psyche of a student who's sitting in fear in their class today. Would that buyback plan require congressional action and, and significant funding to pay for the buyback? You know, the number I put out there, uh, and so yes, uh, the number I put out there was $1,000 an assault rifle. Essentially, it would be market rate. That's that's what Australia uh, did. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get off as cheaply. They bought back about 700,000. They haven't had a mass shooting since. Wow. We have, by estimate, about 15 million assault rifles uh, in America. Now, that does not mean 15 million people own assault rifles. And if you watch the news, 
you know, this week you saw that there was a Bel Air family what uh, was that? With thousands, uh, you know, of a thousand rifles. guns in a house in Bel Air. Yeah. What the fuck is going yeah. on? A lot of people, you know, they collect uh, a number of assault rifles, and so you're not talking about 15 million people would have to sell them back. It'd be significantly less. But again, the part of the problem here is we don't even know who owns them mm-hmm. uh, because there's no federal, you know, gun registry. Like we have a, you know, we have information about, you know, when you get a driver license we know who has a driver license who does not we don't know who owns a gun right. in america right yeah now. so cory booker's talked about proposing that all gun owners be licensed by the federal government do you think that makes sense yeah i do yep i support that so your campaign mantra has been go big be bold do good so besides um the gun control policies we just talked about what do you think the the boldest thing you put forward is or the biggest idea you'd want to implement as president yeah so and i, I hope people see that boldness on Gun safety can also be projected on education, on healthcare, on even governing. So, for example, uh, on healthcare, like we're going to have a, a coverage debate. I mean, absolutely, we have to get away from this free market coverage plan where, you know, more and more uh, paychecks are be- being eaten up uh, by prescription drug costs or you know premiums. Mm-hmm. And as a father of you know two kids under two, like you become like a healthcare expert when you're like sure. in and out of the ER. And I know not to call my wife after she's been fighting an insurance company, yeah. you know, all afternoon. So we, we live it. Stay off WebMD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it never ends well for That's me. Right. That's right. Then you're like at the doctor's office. Yeah, you're like, like, I know what this is, sir. Yeah. You're like, no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope the debate also, and the boldness that I would offer would be cures in our lifetime. You know, I, I see this generation uh, that is very collaborative and inventive in the private sector, but have lost faith that government could be a partner as it battles disease and wants to believe that we can invest in genomics research, targeted therapies, data sharing, and using innovation as a way to bring down the cost. And I'll give you an example. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Brian Wallach, I don't know if you know him yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. Brian worked on the Obama campaign, was a federal prosecutor. Last year, he called me uh, and told me he has ALS. He's 38 two beautiful girls. And he represents a generation that is going to do this on his own. You know, he started a foundation to take the fight, you know, to ALS and find research. Uh, but he also wants to believe that his government, you know, can be a partner and also invest in cures. And I want to be a leader, you know, for the ALS patient, the Parkinson's patient, the Alzheimer's patient, to believe that their government is up to the job and that we're going to challenge the country to invest and find cures. Yes, uh, Brian is uh, doing heroic work, uh, and anyone who wants to support that work should check out uh, IamALS.org because uh, he inspired all of us who worked with him, and um, you know it could be anybody. Yeah, so it's it's, but we're we're living through this like GoFundMe generation where yeah. you know, the hope is someone reads your story, clicks a link, and gives you a chance. And I, I just think the government should be someone you can count on. I agree. Um, so there's some other ideas that have been proposed by other folks that some would call bold, others yeah. would call unrealistic. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about Medicare for all, debt-free college, legalizing yeah. marijuana. Are, are those things you're interested in talking about? Yeah, Medicare for anyone who wants it. So for me, it's a public option, uh, recognizing that we're such a large country that you know, in some places, uh, you know, say a, you have a large uh, steelworking uh, population, or you have, you know, a lot of electricians, you know, in a, a community, uh, or, you know, a lot of people uh, who have the union plan, and they mm-hmm. want to keep their union plan, because that's what's most affordable for them. I want them to be able to keep it. I just think the government has a bigger responsibility to invest in a public option. So Medicare for anyone who wants it, that that would bring down the costs for private insurers, uh, but also that 
in a public option, we would be able to negotiate for the costs of prescription drugs, that we could import prescription drugs if we could make them safe and also make sure that any of the manufacturers could be held liable if something goes wrong. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that that to me is doable. We almost did that, uh, as you know, yeah. uh, you know, when President Obama was in office, but the Senate, you know, had, you know, obviously there were some other ideas. Yeah, well, other <laughs> ideas. Um, on education, yep. you know, I'm the first in my family to go to college. Came with a cost. And paying off just under $100,000 now in student debt. And I see this generation that is deferring the dreams of buying their first home, taking a good idea and starting a business or, you know, starting a family. It's like a first date conversation now, yeah, you know, how much right. student debt. Right. Uh, What's your interest you rate? Right. Yeah. That's like a Tinder uh, yeah. category now. <laughs> um, and so what I want to do is put more money in more pockets to realize those dreams. I think you can do two things that actually you know, can get passed and it's bipartisan. One would be to bring the interest rate to zero uh, so that, you know, you're, the government's not making $1.6 billion a year on student loans. Two would be to allow employers to contribute tax-free to their employees' student loan debt, just like a 401k contribution. That's an incentive for the employer uh, to do that. When it comes to college, you know, and, you know, this free college debate, I I support Mm -hmm. free community college. But for a four-year university, our college bargain is if you work through college, you do work study, Mm -hmm. you work and you learn, and when you come out and take your first job, if you do community service hours for people or communities that need it, that adds up to a debt-free education. So you work for college, college works for you. And I think it just represents that, you know, in, in the end, nothing is truly free. But if you're giving back to a community, uh, that that adds up to a debt-free, universe, a debt-free uh, college. And I, I think I could pass that uh, in the House. And I'll, I'll just tell you, Tommy, the challenge I've seen being someone who went to Congress when I was 31 was that, one, over half the Congress is made up of millionaires. Right. And two... Yeah. Most of those folks, uh, most of the people in Congress went to college at a time when it was affordable. So they're completely or doubly disconnected from the problem because their kids aren't taking on student debt or they went to college at a time when it was affordable. So they just don't see this issue. Now, we have now, and I've led a group called Future Forum in the Congress for the last five years. We have over 50 members on the Democratic side in our 40s and under. A large chunk of us have student loan debt. So I think this issue is just ripe uh, for action. Were you one of those members who had to sleep in your office and cut it corners? It cost and- me a lot to rent, <laughs> um, but I was not you know, so shame- shameless to do that. No, I, I don't think anyone should sleep in a government building. It's, it's just a weird. It's just weird. Yeah, it's not ideal. No. I guess you have staff, you have people trying to get in and out and do their jobs. It's bad for your mental to health, you too. Your teeth. Like, get yeah. the hell out of the office. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, speaking of Congress, uh, the President of the United States has been giving Congress the finger repeatedly recently. <clears throat> this morning, uh, this is Thursday, Speaker Pelosi declared that we're in a constitutional crisis. Uh, she echoing uh, Congressman Nadler. Um, Congressman Schiff subpoenaed the full Mueller report uh, and related evidence. It sounds like the House is about to hold Attorney General Bill Barr in contempt. Like, How do you think Democrats can fight back against this obstinance and this utter refusal to put up people like Don McGahn or others to provide testimony. Yeah, you know, I think the best way out, you know, is through. Like, you just have to meet them with force and consequence. Like, we we can't be on our heels uh, with them because that's where they want us. And so, you know, I, I start with, you know, the president's own words. He said he's not going to cooperate at all. Okay, take him at his word. Start showing that there's consequences for this behavior. I think Barr should be impeached. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we held him in contempt yesterday. Uh, that'll come to the full House in probably two weeks. Uh, but 
you know, this report is not about red jerseys versus blue jerseys. It's about a country that attacked us. It lays out the contacts between the president's team and this country. And if he's not willing to be a part of letting us see what that country did and how we can defend our country, mm-hmm. then he's got to be removed and show that there's consequences for lawlessness. I think Steve Mnuchin is probably on the same track. Like the law is pretty clear. You have to turn over the tax returns. He's not going to do that. Okay, hold him in contempt, seek to impeach him. And I don't care what the Senate's going to do. We should send it over to them anyway and let them deal with it and let them explain to their constituents why they think this person doesn't have to follow the law. But again, pardon all the parenting metaphors, but I've got a two-year-old right now who like loves to just throw his toys all the time. So I'm doing the one, two, three method. My Uh wife is really, you know, it's harder for her to do it because he's so cute. But I count to three. If he's still throwing stuff, I take a toy, put it on the fridge. And like, if I don't do that, he's not going to get better. He's going to get worse. And his little sister, the six-month-old, is going to see that and she's going to be bad. And so I think, one, I want to stop the president from getting worse. Two, I don't want future presidents to look at what this Congress did and say, oh, well, I, I can conduct myself at that low standard because President Trump got away with it and mm-hmm. even a majority of Democrats in the Congress let him get away with it. So you have to think about you know present and future, and that means force and consequence. So we, we've had a spirited debate here on Pod Save America over whether, uh, not really whether impeachment is the right thing to do, because I think that 10, 11 counts of obstruction of justice make clear that you know those are pretty impeachable offenses and probably should be impeached, but whether it's a politically advantageous thing to do for Democrats. So if we move to impeachment, do you think that would help force Trump's hand in terms of allowing people to testify and forcing him to turn over documents? I don't know if it would help force Trump's hand. I think there are people who don't want to be a part of that. And I, that, that's why I think Bill Barr, you know, he needs a wake-up call. Uh, he's broken the law. He thinks he can get away with it. But I think he's actually a serious lawyer. And if we started to move on impeachment of Bill Barr, I think it might give him pause. And I think you might get him to do what you want him to do, or he would resign mm-hmm. uh, or be fired by President Trump. But I, I think you have to start sending messages to these you know, underlings that we're not going to let them get away with it and see if that shakes them up a little bit to either comply or let Trump uh, fire them. But you know, with the president, I, I honestly, I don't know. I couldn't tell you if it's politically advantageous for us to move on impeachment with him or not. I, I don't think we should think about it that way. And I also think that it's a chicken and the egg problem because mm-hmm. if you don't hold them accountable and you just go on what the public opinion is right now, right. you may think, well, yeah. it's not popular. But if you did hold them accountable and the public saw through hearings and testimony all the stuff he's done, all the laws he's broken, you may see the public dramatically change as far as what they think about it. Right. So if you think about it just politically, I think you're getting it wrong. Sure. But so there are sort of two options, right? You can impeach or not impeach. If you don't impeach, you you know, we think we should have been able to hold a series of hearings to bring to life the Mueller report, to get more testimony, to to have people testify on camera under oath, yeah. but he's blocking all those efforts. If you begin impeachment proceedings, do you think that makes it easier to compel those individuals to come forward? I think he will still try and block them. I mean, and again, what's so crazy about this and so maddening is the guy claims he's 100% exonerated, right. but he's 100% blocking, yeah. right? Um, no, I, I think he he still figures that he can just you know try and stand on uh, these privileges he's going to assert 
tied up in the courts. Right. He does. He seems to know. It's funny. He doesn't know much about civics, but it, do you remember when he was talking about, you know, I'm going to do this. They're going to sue me here. It's right. going to get overturned. It's going to go here. Like he knows the judicial system. He does. He's been in it a lot. Yeah. So he knows that like he could probably, you know, try and uh, drag this on for a little while um, and maybe run out the clock. Um, but I just think we were left with really no options. And, and so that fir- mean you're, you think we should, I think we're on the road to impeachment. Okay. I, I'm willing to exhaust, you know, these final remedies. Um, but I, I think that's where we're going and it's unavoidable. It's not a road any of us really wanted to go down, but I mean, he's, he's taking us there. You, you're on the intelligence committee. You get, um, top secret briefings all the time on, on various intelligence programs, on countries, on issues. Are there things you hear or areas you've been briefed on that worry you the most that you'd want to focus on as president? Yes. I mean, certainly. One, I want to make sure that, you know, we put a hard stop to what Russia is doing. And and that means not just in the United States, but just trying to, you know, really undermine democracies around the globe. And the only way to do that is one, to stand you know, strong with NATO, you know, continue to see NATO grow and, Mm -hmm. you know, counter, you know, what Russia's doing in the region. I will say this. I first thought, like most people did when Russia did this, that they were doing it to get a transactional benefit, to put a guy in place who would reduce sanctions, pull Mm -hmm. us out of Syria, diminish the role of NATO. And they, they certainly, that was part of the collateral benefit. But the real reason that I've come to learn just seen in the classified and unclassified, you know, briefings, uh, what Russia's done. They're doing this so that Russians don't ask for democracy hmm. because they want Russians to look at our democracy and think, well, that's a shit show. Like they're, we've turned them against each other. They have a point. Yeah. They, they in the last <laughs> couple of years, yeah, they have a point. So the best way to beat this idea that no matter who you are, where you're from, what your parents did, who you love, who you worship, if you work hard, you can become anything. Because if that idea could be true in America, it could be true anywhere. The best way to beat that idea from coming to Russia is to beat it at its origin. And so what they did was they, you know, used our freedom of speech. They weaponized social media. They've turned us against ourselves. They have us questioning just exactly what they did to help the person who won. And so Russians, you know, in Moscow are not going to say, we, we don't want that. And then when we call them out, you know, on the world stage, you know, for human rights violations or encroaching into, you know, Ukraine, we have less standing because we've got a mess at home. So that, that's why they did it. And to, I think you need a president who understands that, can counter that. What's, you know, so frustrating for me, and I think 10 years from now, we're going to look at this. The Mueller report came out last month, laid out 200 pages of Russian contacts and that Russia attacked us. And our president called the fucking guy who attacked us. I mean, that, I mean, that is just insane to me. Like he, at the president's request, it wasn't like Putin's called five times, sir, right. you got to call him back. No, he requested to call Putin, talked to him for 90 minutes and described the call as Putin was smiling. And then he was asked, well, did you <laughs> tell Putin not to do this again? And he said, no, no, that didn't come up. Like, what, you didn't have time for it to come up? It was a 90 minute call. And that's yeah. that's where our president is. I think people, you know, as this passes, are just going to say, that is nutty. That That is absolutely nutty that the president of the United States, the way he defended his country when this report came out was he called the guy and described the conversation as Putin was smiling. Yeah, it was also not a video conference for, for those yeah. at home. So was it a FaceTime? Uh, yeah. I I, <laughs> who knows how they talk. Um, yeah. 
your analysis of why the Russians did that, it, it makes perfect sense to me. It's something I've heard from other Russia experts. It's particularly worrisome when you see an adversary cutting down the idea of democracy. And then the next week, the White House invites someone like Viktor Orban, who's probably done more to unravel democracy in, in Europe than anyone uh, in the last decade for an Oval Office meeting. I, I mean, I, when you when you hear about things like that happening, yeah. what's your what? How do you respond that this president would rather be an authoritative leader than rule in a democracy? You know, Michael Cohen pulled me aside uh when he testified a couple months ago to the Intelligence Committee, we were both walking back into the SCIF, the secured compartmentalized information facility that we meet in, right? There's no phones, no cameras. You go into this facility, and we had a bathroom break, and you know, he and I just happened to walk in at the same time. And he said to me, he said, you know, what really worries me about this guy is that he won't leave office, that he he's not going to accept the result of an election. And, you know, that is a guy that has... Yeah worked as his fixer, knows him best. Yeah. And he's, and, and Cohen said, he said, this guy wants to be a dictator. And he, he said, that's why he likes Kim. That's why he likes Erdogan. That's why he likes Putin. And that really worries me. That hmm. Do you think that's why Speaker Pelosi echoed that sentiment recently? Yeah. And it's, it's because just as Trump is setting up the, well, the elections may be rigged, right? He did right. that in yeah. 16. He did that a little bit in 18. I think you're going to see him start to do that again. I think we have to seed for the American people what this guy's instincts really are so that they're prepared if he tries to do it. I mean, he it, it wasn't a coincidence that, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, a couple days ago tweets Donald Trump is owed two more years of his presidency because of the Russia investigation. The president retweets it and then starts to say almost the same thing. I mean, I, I think you know, he would love to try and do that. And so mm-hmm. we just have, we can't be on our heels this time. Like we need to make sure that under no circumstances is that even discussed. And yes, she's right. Overwhelm the ballot box to make sure that you can't deny the result. Um, but but a, and your, your other question, I just want to say, yeah, yeah. countering China uh, economically is, is going to be one of the biggest challenges also for the next president. You know, they're, they're an economic force. Uh, they don't really respect intellectual property. We see that, you know, through economic uh, espionage. We see that, you know, through intellectual property theft. They continue to, you know, again, as we're dealing with democracy challenges at home, you know, they continue to grow, you know, and and expand their military presence in the South uh, China Seas. And I I think the best way to take them on is not to go one-on-one as this president has done. I, I think he's correct. And I will give him credit that China, especially when it comes to trade, is a bad actor. But if you think about this like a lawsuit, like when the little guy gets screwed by the big guy, um, it's, and, and right now we're getting – when it comes to trade, like mm-hmm. the trade deficit is so big between China, we can't really take them on, you know, tit for tat. But there are a lot of other countries who are victims of China's trade. So you form a class action. You, you form a class and go at China – you know, with Australia, with Japan, you know, like with South TPP Korea. TPP was supposed to do basically. Yeah, I mean, it, with better labor standards in sure. Vietnam, right, and, sure. and some of the environmental issues. But you, I think, get to form a class, and and he is alienated. He's insulted the Australian, you know, uh, leader. He has told the Japanese and the South Koreans that they should get their own nuclear weapons or pay <laughs> us more for our presence there. So I do, I do see, you know, countering China uh, is a challenge. Yeah, uh, man. Telling the Japanese and South Koreans to get nuclear weapons is just one of those crazy, just unbelievably insane things he says on a regular basis that just doesn't even get really covered. Yeah, and I don't think he understands why, like, if we could have 
double the troop presence over there. <laughs> like that's a good thing for us to have a window into yeah. China. Look at what's going on in North Korea. Like they are good partners yeah, for us. Yeah. Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. There's a, a lot of concern about the Russians. You know, the, the, the analysis you just walked us through. They, they probably look at the impact of their uh, interference and think that was unbelievably effective. This worked out well for us. Maybe they'll do it again. Uh, or maybe the Chinese will do it. Um, there's been a lot, you know, I, I guess the question is, what has been done to protect the integrity of our election systems that you've seen? And what, in your opinion, still needs to be done? I think the most important thing we can do is have awareness as American people of like how our social media platforms have been weaponized. Mm-hmm. And I think that sadly comes from the top. Like you need a president to unite the country, explain what they did, challenge social media companies to not let this happen on our platforms so that when we see, you know, these types of, you know, divisive posts coming from foreign intelligence services, we recognize it and we dismiss it and it doesn't come into our political ether. That mm-hmm. takes leadership from a president. Right mm-hmm. now, it's even with the majority in the House, like it's going to be hard to like lead that dialogue if the president isn't acknowledging what they did. So we can fund election security. He defunded, the Republicans defunded the $350 million that had had gone to election security yeah. and was supposed to go to it in the last cycle. We can put that back in place as we go into this budget battle, you know, in September. I've written legislation called duty to report. Uh, Senator Blumenthal and I have introduced it. It would require any candidate, campaign, family member, if you're approached with dirt on your opponent by a foreign agent, you have to tell the FBI. I'm about to introduce legislation same thing for social media companies. If you see foreign interference on your platform, you have to tell the FBI. So just so that we see it and that they have a responsibility not to take, or if they are taking money in rubles, mm-hmm. as we saw last time, that the FBI <laughs> knows about it yeah. and can counter it. But it, I really think it's awareness more than anything. The, the hardest part about this is biting your tongue and not talking about it too much because Republicans would love for us to say that the Russians might sure. influence the next election sure. because they want that single mom who's picking up her little girl from daycare, has to get her bathed, have to, has to get her fed on election day to think, you know what, I can go to the polls, wait for a half hour, but if 
the results are going to be rigged. Like, why does it matter? Like mm-hmm. that. So they they would love for us to cl- you know scream about you know the voting the ballot box mm-hmm. not being secure. So we have to be careful. Yeah. You know, in how you talk about it. Agreed. Um, this morning, uh, Chris Hughes, one of the original co-founders of Facebook, wrote, quote, uh, the government needs to do two things, break up Facebook's monopoly and regulate the company to make it more accountable to the American people. Just breaking up Facebook is not enough. We need a new agency empowered by Congress to regulate tech companies. Its first mandate should be to protect privacy. Do you agree with those proposals? I think we need a, pri- a national privacy law, like the endeavor that uh, you know Europe just underwent mm-hmm. and, and now has the, you know different disclosures that you know are made to consumers and if any of your listeners you know go to you know any european website or any website that goes through a european server mm-hmm. you know you have to opt in as to how you know your information is being used i think we can do that in the united states i also think we need a federal breach notification law right now yes. there's you know 49 different breach notification laws uh you know in our country and so when you have like the equifax breach or the target breach I think we should have one standard, you know, so what we know. But the challenge here, I, I really believe, is, you know, our laws around, our antitrust laws were, you know, largely written around, you know, whether, you know, monopolies were causing the price of goods to go up. Right. And here, it, it's almost the opposite, right? Um, so it's really about how do you value data? And, you know, what are we giving up as far as our data? Because Google and Facebook are free. But we're giving up a lot, you know, as far as the data they have on us. And second, you know, they are gobbling up, you know, their competitors. And there are questions about whether they are using, you know, the data they have to gobble up their competitors. Mm-hmm. I think the best example is with, like, Amazon. Like, you know, there's fair questions about if, you know, like diapers.com, which was on Amazon. And, my, you know, we buy a lot of diapers in, in our household. Um, if Amazon is using the data of people who buy diapers... If people were going on Amazon and buying diapers from diapers.com and Amazon is using that data and then they manufacture their own diapers and sell their own diapers based on the data that they were getting from people buying from diapers.com, like that may not technically violate our laws, but like it raises the question, like, do we need to rethink like how data is used, you know, so you're not putting businesses, you know, out. Agreed. Um, Quick foreign policy grab bag here. I mean, not quick necessarily, but uh, on Iran. So Trump recently deployed an aircraft carrier and a bomber task force to the Middle East, reportedly in response to some intelligence passed to us by the uh, uh, Israelis about threats from Iran. Have you seen that intelligence? And do you think that the response was proportional or appropriate? Well, what I can say is that I, I think the, the president is being unnecessarily provocative. Uh, with Iran. I, I think Congress should demand that every person in Congress uh, gets briefed uh, on this uh, and that, you know, we very carefully set limits as to what this president uh, can do because I, I see this in just a few, you know, steps leading us into, you know, a, a war uh, in the Middle East. And I think the president is spoiling for a war with Iran. I mean, he pulled us out of the Iran nuclear deal has now, you know, uh, is, is going to punish, you know, other countries and companies for doing business uh, with Iran, which is going to reduce money flowing into Iran. And I think is is really spoiling for a fight and, and trying to almost provoke Iran to do something so we could take a strike. Now, all that said, Iran is a really bad actor. They fund, you know, terrorism in the Middle East. They're constantly targeting uh, our ally uh, in Israel. They have a ballistic missiles program that, you know, is not uh, mm-hmm. in compliance with any uh, weapons treaty, they need to be punished. 
that's why I supported the Iran nuclear deal. Mm -hmm. I thought the best way to deal with a country that funded terrorism and had, you know, ballistic missiles was to take away their ability to have a nuclear weapon. We took them from three months to a year. Now they're saying that they're not going to follow all parts of the agreement. We're not going to be able to, you know, monitor them and, and verify what they're doing. And so they're going to get closer to having the nuclear weapon. And by the way, continue to do that other stuff, which is going to force us, you know, to have to do something. I, I think we may have to, in Congress, set some limitations on what the president can do. That was something that, you know, Speaker Boehner and Speaker Ryan were unwilling to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it was through President Obama or, you know, President Trump, uh, as it related to Syria or the authorization for use of force, you know, in Iraq yeah. uh, and Afghanistan. And I think we need to update all of those. Agreed. Um, in China, the, the Chinese have put up to three million members of a weaker Muslim minority group into what Trump's own assistant secretary of defense called concentration camps. It seems to me that this is a, a crime against humanity. And given the scale, one of the most under discussed, under covered, under acted upon uh, things I've heard of in the world today. What do you think we can do to stop them? Yeah, it, it is a crime against humanity. And the president should include you know, human rights uh, when he discusses trade. Uh, with China. And, and I, I don't want to be trading with a country that is treating, uh, you know, millions of people uh, like that, or at least trading with them and not bringing it up and telling them that we're watching. You know, th- this is something where the United States typically would show leadership on, mm-hmm. especially in the United Nations. But instead, you know, this president is having us pull out of, you know, human rights uh, conventions in the United Nations. And again, this goes back to a president who is alienating us you know, from the world. Uh, and when I, you know, you mentioned earlier, our mantra for the campaign, go big on the issues, be bold with solutions, do good in the way that we govern. And this is to me a part of like the doing good. Next president's going to have to go on a global affirmation tour, take the oath, catch a plane, assure our allies we're still with them, start to hold up again, you know, the principles that make us so special, you know, human rights, you know, freedom of the sp- freedom of press, freedom of worship, you know, uh, getting rid of the Muslim ban uh, ourselves. But I think it's hard, you know, uh, for us to have moral leadership and, and call out the Chinese for the way that they're treating ethnic and religious minorities when we have a Muslim ban in place uh, and we are separating women and children at our own border. Yeah. Um, you sit on the, the intelligence committee, as we've talked about. Um, you guys provide oversight of the intel community. Somehow our most closely held highly classified secrets and programs keep leaking. It started with WikiLeaks and there was Snowden. Then there were the so-called Vault 7 documents that detailed the CIA's global cyber espionage programs. It's like a two-part question for you. How is it possible that this kind of material keeps getting out? And two, do you think it's time for us to develop some clear public rules of the road that put limits and guardrails around cyber activities to include what the U.S. is doing via the NSA or CIA? Yeah, so one, I I have supported um, expanding the scope of the, it's called PCLOB. It, it, it's the Public C- oh, Civil Liberties Oversight Board. Is that right? Throwback. I love yeah, the PCLOB. PCLOB yeah, right? yeah. So, PCLOB used to have access to classified and covert actions. Yeah. Uh, then their access to covert actions was taken away. And when did that happen? I think it was uh, in the last five years. Um, so I want the public to have you know, an independent authority to look at what the intelligence communities are doing, to mm-hmm. look at any abuses. Now, some of these leaks that you talked about exposed abuses. Now, that to me is not you know, a a reason to leak, but I would rather that you have an independent, 
you know, watchdog group sure. who people could go to and express, you know, concerns. And PCLOB lost a lot of its ability to do that when they didn't have access to covert programs. Second, I am concerned in the intelligence community that we may be relying too much on independent contractors. Uh, yeah. And I, I would rather, and, and I get it, you know, there may be some jobs where, you know, people don't want to commit to a career with the federal government and they want to be an independent contractor. And to get the best person to fill that skill, you need an independent contractor. But you also give up something when you don't have that fidelity to the government. Uh, and so I think we have to look at that. And then, you know, I, I chair the Intelligence Modernization uh, Subcommittee on the Intel uh, Committee. I'm in, very interested in getting an intelligence community that looks like America. You know, it's not a very diverse group. You know, the briefers come in, they're widely, and you've seen this, you know, it's white males. You know, in a white male briefing me on like what's going on, you know, in Africa, uh, or a white male briefing me about, you know, different, you know, Muslim terrorism groups, like maybe we could get, you know, people of color or, you know, d just different, uh, you know, religious minorities uh, to talk to us about these issues. Because mm -hmm. one, they would just culturally better understand them. And, and two, it's just, I think it's better for us to defend the country with, you know, people uh, with, a, with an intel community that looks like the country. So diversifying the intelligence community is one of my highest priorities. I think that would also uh, just, frankly, you know, make us safer. Um, pivot to politics here. Yeah. So you, I, your parents and I believe your brothers are Trump supporters? Is that uh, right? my, my parents have a Trump-Pence magnet okay. on the fridge. I hope that's come cool. down since I've announced a month uh, well, ago. I was going to say. But so you're a member of Congress. You're a member of the intelligence community. You are probably better versed in the facts and arguments against Donald Trump than anyone else in the country. Are you able to sway them at all? <laughs> and if not, should that depress the hell out of the rest of us? Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. I'm still going to want to see their ballots okay. before they mail them back. Got it. Um, you know, my parents, I think, are the of the swayable type. They're they are Ronald Reagan Republicans. They they like someone who's, you know, tough and represents America well. Uh, you know, they like that Reagan stood up, you know, to the Russians. They like someone who keeps their taxes low and doesn't, you know, waste their money. They always would tell me, oh, Democrats, you guys just want to tax and spend mm -hmm. uh, all of our money. So I think one, like a president who recognizes the strength that we have in the world is with our alliances. And that means, you know, fewer wars and like 
less dollars we have to spend on defense at home, and two, calls out this president for the deficit spending, you know, especially in his tax cuts and the debt that's racking up, I think you can appeal to a lot of Republicans if you, you know, offer a vision that will keep us safe in the world, uh, but also, you know, be more prudent with the taxpayer's dollar than this president uh, is being. We're not going to get all of them. I'm, I'm realistic about that. Uh, but I go on Fox News um, a lot to make my case. I mean, it is probably the only way my parents could see me on TV. <laughs> but I don't want to dismiss people who were counting on someone who said he was going to raise their wages, lower their health care costs, and brighten their kids' future. Uh, but I, I do want to dismiss the guy that's utterly failed to do that. And I, I've seen the payoff of that. I've seen people who probably will never vote for me, but come up to me and say, hey, I respect that you go on there. And I, I think that's that's the first step is mm-hmm. just getting like a mutual respect with some of their viewers. Second, uh, the people who come up to me and say, hey, I'm not a Republican. I watch you on Fox News, but my husband you know, is a Republican and that's all he watches, so I have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting that person. I'm connecting with that person or the bartender who doesn't have a choice in what's on the TV and Fox News is on. So mm-hmm. I think going into some of these uncomfortable places uh, you know, serves us well. And it yeah. doesn't mean I have to sign up to agree at all with you know some of the crazy views of the hosts, uh, but I, I don't want to dismiss the viewers. Are you seeing any indication that those people are peeling off? Because you know I, I do feel like there has to be a lot of people who feel like that tax cut didn't help me at all, uh, who are worried about their healthcare premiums going up, who feel like a lot of the promises are being broken, but I'm never seeing his approval uh, break through, you know, a floor of 39, 40%. So I have a theory on that. My theory is that his approval may stay the same or slightly go up, but the number of people who are Republicans, uh, is probably going down. So, um, and, and I actually call me crazy, but I think we've already done the hard work. I think the hard work was the midterms. Like if we had not won the midterms, we would be fucked. Yeah, we, we would be in depressed. real, real trouble. The hard work was winning, the midterms. And if you just look at where we won, right, we added two seats in Iowa, almost one a third in mm-hmm. western Iowa, where I was born. We added a seat in Oklahoma. We added a seat in Kansas, almost added a second seat in Kansas, added two seats in Texas. And then statewide, we won Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Those are the three states, three states we need. So when I think about the next two years, like Donald Trump's not going to get better. Like he's not going to fulfill the promises that have already been broken. He had two years with mm-hmm. a Republican governing majority and he failed to pass the health care repeal, right? He tried to build a wall and it shut down the government and he passed a tax cut that added to the deficit and saw his majority wiped out. So he's not, things aren't going to get easier or better for Donald Trump. So I actually think the sun's beginning to rise. We just haven't really noticed it yet because we're still just weathering the day-to-day drama of President Trump, but I think the hard work was done in the midterms. And a lot of them were those Republicans you're talking about yeah. who I think came came over and they're right. going to do it again. In those sort of moderate districts. Um, you have talked about uh, the importance of representation and knowing when you can speak to someone else's experience and you cannot. You've also talked about uh, how you would ask a woman to be your vice president. So I, I asked this in yeah. the least trolly way yeah. possible, but like some might argue that the most you know sincere form of promoting representation yeah. and equal rights would be to, say, support one yeah. of the great women running for office. How do you yeah. respond to that criticism? And, and you know what? It, it, I may end up you know, at that point, and I, I look forward to doing that. I happen to believe that you know, I have an experience of being the first in the family to go to college, seeing why my parents worked really hard and what they expected it to add up to, and that 
when you go on a journey like that and you have your eyes open, you see all the other people who work hard and they're not benefiting from a good economy or a good stock market. They're just running in place. And so I feel a responsibility to fight for them. I, I, I'm still generationally optimistic that we could solve a lot of these problems. And I bring experience of being in Congress for seven years and on the Intelligence Committee to know who our enemies are. And I think that's a combination that can make sure that you know this country uh, is one where if you work hard, it adds up. It's one where we can defend ourselves against the enemies that are attacking us. And I'm not going to be able to speak to everyone's experience. But as I said, I, I know where to look. I see other identities. Uh, and I would put together a diverse uh, cabinet to lead the country. And I would ask a woman to be vice president. And if, if my candidacy does not develop out the way I hope it does, then yes, you know, I, I, there are plenty of women uh, who would make great presidents that we have uh, on the debate stage. Um, last question for you. I mean, what I think is it's particularly interesting and stark about your candidacy versus some of the others is a generational gap that is wide. I mean, you've talked about how you still have student loan debt. Yeah. Um, you're not 40, you know, you're 38, <laughs> you're, we're the same age. Do you think it's time for some of the leaders in the Democratic Party who are from that previous generation to, to move aside and let uh, younger politicians get a shot? Well, I think when you think about that, when you think about that debate stage, mm -hmm. who's going to be standing next to Donald Trump? We want our candidates' ideas to be fresher than his. I, I think that's really, really important, is that our candidate is one of new ideas, new energy, and offers new leadership. I, I think you're going to need that contrast. Now, that's a mindset. I don't think that's an, a, a specific age or era. I think mm -hmm. it's a mindset. So, you, But that means you have to understand automation and what it's doing to the workforce and the anxiety it's causing. It means that you have to understand this generation that's in student debt. It means you have to understand like, how scared kids are in their classroom today because they don't think anything's being done about gun violence. If you have that mindset, then you can have that contrast with the president. But if, if the president has the freshest ideas on the debate stage, He's going to be reelected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Congressman Swalwell, thank you so yeah. much for coming by. Yeah. It's great thank talking you. to you. Same here. Best Thanks, Tommy. Thanks. Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.